Podcast. The motto for 2 Corinthians is, When I am weak, then I am strong. The Holy Spirit is using the Apostle Paul's troubles to show us that God is faithful, not only to see us through, but to use our difficulties in powerful ways. Now let's join Pastor Ross with another message from the series entitled, Strength Through Weakness. Now, Heavenly Father, as we quiet our hearts before you, we ask that the Holy Spirit help us by opening the eyes of our hearts so that we can see the truth and grasp it with our minds and put it into practice so we wouldn't just be uh, uh, knowing the word, but hearers of the word, but doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. I knew that verse would come to me eventually. (laughs) Now, uh, a young man in his 20s, few years uh, back, we had the privilege of leading him uh, to the Lord here at The Rock, and it's always exciting to see uh, new believers grow in their faith. And one day he asked me, he said, you mentioned tithes and offerings a, a lot, uh, but I'm kind of lost. What, what, what are, what, what's a tie and offering mean? And so he thought it had something to do with ties, neckties. Right, And so I said, no, that tithe, T-I-T-H-E, is a word that means a tenth. And it's the Old Testament starting point uh, for giving to the Lord's work. And an offering is what you willingly decide uh, in your heart to offer, to share the resources God has blessed you with, uh, to his work as a gift to him. So... He said, when are you going to talk about all of this? You know, I've been to other churches, and they're always talking about money. And I don't seem to hear you talking a lot about money. And I said, well, here at The Rock, uh, we have business to take care of. And that is A, we are here to worship the Lord. And B, we are here to teach the Bible. This is a Bible-teaching church. We are here to preach the gospel to help people like you Uh, come to know the Lord and inherit eternal life. And yes, we receive tithes and offerings uh, as a part of the worship service, uh, uh, but we don't even receive offerings here. We put two boxes in the back and leave the giving between uh, God and the one who is worshiping. Uh, But you will not hear any of that pleading or manipulating or inordinate focus about raising funds or money Uh, Here's how we take care of it. Uh, We preach and teach line by line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And when money comes up, as it often does, since there's 2,000 references in the Bible about stewardship, and when it comes up in the scriptures, as we're going through, then we address it and teach from the scriptures in context about the money and so and the giving and stewardship. And he said, oh, good. I can't wait. When's the next time that it's going to come up in the scriptures? Because I don't want to miss out on a blessing. So I said, are you okay?" (laughs) I said, no, 
I recognize that uh, that zeal because it, it's a, a new, fresh faith that's newly aware of the goodness and grace of God. And when the heart is touched with an awareness of God's love and all that Christ has done for us, uh, the immediate response is, I want to give back. I want to join the team. I want some skin in the game. How do I get involved? I mean, after what uh, he has done for me, of course, the response to receiving grace and being aware of grace means you want to give. And if you don't want to give and you're not a cheerful giver, then there's a loose connection. There is something wrong. And so the key, really, um, well, actually, he said, you know, um, he asked me, when do you think you're going to get to one of those passages? And so, dude, if you're here tonight, <laughs> you're in sanctified luck, all right? <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to God's people. It's called the, we're called the saints. They're separated ones, that word means, not morally perfect. Verse five, and they didn't do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we're off and running already. Now, expository preaching has many blessings, of course, but uh, uh, it is quite helpful and lends credibility and allows easier reception of delicate and sensitive subjects because uh, this isn't Ross's timing to teach on giving. It's not my favorite subject to talk about. It just so happens to follow chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and you pick tonight to come. And if you're a new uh, visitor, welcome. But it is totally 100% your fault for picking this day if you're uncomfortable with the subject. But most Christians are not uncomfortable. They're like the new believer who says, man, I don't want to be robbed of a blessing because we sense in our hearts that it's the right thing to do. And so in chapters 8 and 9, one unit of thought about giving. Out of the 2,000 references about money in the Bible, just as we get started, here's some context. Uh, it is here in this chapter and in the following chapter, the most detailed, concentrated, focused passages in all of uh, uh, the Bible right here on Christian stewardship and the discipline of giving, handling money. How do we do it? It's all right here in chapters 8 and 9. And why should we pay attention? Well, Jesus himself said, Beware, guard against every form of greed in your heart, because life is not measured by how much you make or about your possessions. Because in other places, the Bible says that money 
Really? Uh, get the love of money can be the root of all evil. It cannot save your soul. It cannot make you content. And the wrong attitude about money will sidetrack you, make you ineffective, and cause great regret uh, after your life is over that you are living for the wrong thing. And so the right attitudes about uh, money and stewarding it as a Christian. I mean, God is Lord of all parts of our lives, but somehow, you know, we get we give him the top drawer, the maybe the middle drawer, but that bottom drawer called finances. Uh, you know, he it takes him a long time to for to get to us that that drawer belongs to him as well. The whole dresser belongs to him. The whole house belongs to him and the earth and the solar system and everything else. It's his, right? Amen? So it's important to know what God wants us to do with the money he gave us. And so that's why we need to pay attention. And I want to say this. I've never been in a church that's more uh, mature, Filled with God's spirit, I have never seen the kind of generosity uh, in my entire Christian life than at The Rock. And so I'm glad to preach to a bunch of givers, a bunch of cheerful givers whom God loves because he loves a, and in the Greek it means a hilarious giver. Somebody who just gets a lot of joy about giving. And if you think about it, when you give and the, it's the right thing and that person is hurting and you give and, and you see what that gesture does for somebody, man, it is, as Jesus taught, more blessed to give than receive. And so we have a sudden shift here as we get underway, don't we? Second Corinthians primarily is a letter about uh, seeking reconciliation. He, Paul has had a falling out with the uh, congregation there at Corinth. It was, had nothing to do with him. Uh, but the false teachers came in and there was some offenses and uh, one thing led to another. And so most of 2 Corinthians is really about a defense of his ministry and trying to mend the fences and, um, and kind of vindicate himself to this congregation. And so last we heard, uh, Titus had returned back to Paul and, and gave him some good news that said, hey man, everything, the hard letter that you sent them, that painful visit, it's called the, the, the visit of tears. The visit of tears worked. And they're coming around. They miss you. They're sorry. They long to see you. And Paul's now going to capitalize on that. He just told them. He learned that information. And now he's kind of saying, can we get back to the business at hand? Can we start talking about what it's all about and what it was all about was this massive offering that Paul had started to prepare a couple years before that kind of got sidetracked because life happens, and especially with the Corinthians. All the other churches in the area were to come up with an offering to help the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who were undergoing severe famine and terrible persecution, and they couldn't work because when you were a Jew and you accepted Jesus as it is today, you suffer a lot of uh, persecution and you're ostracized. And so they wouldn't trade with them. They wouldn't work with them. They wouldn't employ them. They wouldn't buy their products. And so they were hurting. 
So Paul said, hey, in all of these churches, from Galatia in modern-day Turkey to the churches in Macedonia, which will include, I've got a map for you because we're talking about the churches in Macedonia who are, are the ones who are taking the offering right now. And he's talking to the Corinthians down here. This is all modern-day Greece. Now, northern Greece today used to be called Macedonia. So Macedonia, these, these are the churches that Paul is talking about in utter poverty are showing this incredible generosity. And uh, Corinth is, of course, in southern Greece. And so Paul is up here and he's... Uh, exhorting these guys to finish the work they started. So a year before in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 through 4, he said, listen, I want you at the first day of, of the week, on every Sunday, when you guys gather, part of the offering should be budgeted for this work. This is a year ago, right? But then kind of things, uh, you know, they had some problems, and it got uh, procrastinated. And so uh, that's what, he's, what, what he wants to do. He wants the Gentile churches, listen. He wants the Gentile churches, he wants the Gentile churches to give an offering to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem because there was a rift between Jews, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. So here they're in need, and then Paul's going to say, here's a huge offering from the Gentiles, you know? And so, and the second reason he wants to do it is he says the Gentiles are spiritually uh, obligated. They are indebted to the Jews. He talks about this in Romans 15. He says the whole root that supports Christianity is Jewish, I mean, all the Old Testament, the, the, the temple, the monarchy, uh, the lineage of Christ who was a Jew, all these Gentiles who in Macedonia and in Corinth, um, they owe their faith to those who came before, the prophets and Israel. And so he says, the least you, you guys can do when you're affluent like this, you can give back to those who, uh, for all uh, intents and purposes, have given to you. And so that's really what's going on. So it's been a year, and we can go back to the verses, but I want to show you, well, yeah, in a second I want to show you that. But uh, it's been a year, so he's saying, let's, let's, let's move it, okay? And he's using the churches in Macedonia who are really struggling uh, as an example because through their terrible ordeal, they're on board. They're giving, but the Corinthians who are affluent uh, are slow. And let me show you. I'm going to show you the pictures anyway. Okay, so uh, down, eh, okay, this is Needles, California. I had to pick a town, and I'm sorry if you know anybody from there. I happen to, and that's why it came into my mind. But uh, Macedonia was rural, and very, very poor. And so let me give you a couple pictures here. Okay, just rural, poor, not much going on there, kind of a dying town, okay? If you go online, there's hundreds of these pictures. It's just a very sad place, okay? So in, in Macedonia, 
right? This, it was kind of rural and, and, and a deplorable situation like this. Now, he's writing to the Corinthians, and he's saying, these guys have come up with unbelievable generosity, though they were dirt poor. And now he's talking to people in Corinth, which is a port town you can put on San Francisco. It's a port town. <laughs> Okay, they're rich city dwellers. They have professional jobs there. And, and there are one more here. This is what he's talking to. He's talking to the Corinthians and saying, are you kidding me? Are you guys going to cooperate and be generous? Let me tell you a little bit about what's going on in needles, okay? Uh, okay, we can go back to the verses now, and I think you're going to get it now. And so, you know, he's saying, listen, a good intention or a kind thought that never is carried out is neither nice nor good, but rather a sad waste of time. So he's saying, let's not waste any more time. Let me tell you. And point number one, an example of biblical generosity. He wants to kind of uh, inspire them, right? So he's saying, okay, so let's take a look at this now. So verses one through five, we have uh, this severe trial. He says, verse two, they're in the midst of this severe, painful trial. Now, normally, when you're in the pressure cooker, it doesn't bring the best out in you. And so that what's amazing about these Christians who are suffering, they're suffering in the right way with joy. They're not getting bitter, they're getting better. And so he's going to praise them and heaven is giving these Macedonian believers who are dirt poor. The word there for extreme poverty means down deep poor, rock bottom like nothing, but yet they're being persecuted. They have not much of anything. They're in a lot of pain, but they are welling up with this joy and the privilege and begging to be involved in the offering. So he just wants to tell them, you know, wink, wink, here, here are these poor people who are not affluent like you, who are going through a tough time, not like you, Everything was okay in Corinth at the time. And so, now, how does God get you to be a generous, hilarious giver like the Macedonians? Well, he shapes and softens us and makes us sympathetic uh, through adversity. Every generous person I know has known what it's like to suffer. It's suffering. It's suffering that did it to these guys. Because in their own poverty and in their own pain, in their own telling their kids there's nothing to eat again, they identified with those who are hurting in Jerusalem and they wanted to help even though they had nothing to help them with. Paul the Apostle's like, are you kidding me? Don't, you know, I'm going to get to that point coming up here. The Apostle Paul is surprised because he's lived with them where they have to pool their resources to get a couple bowls of grain. So he knows what's going on there. And so, uh, so fascinating. What's fascinating is that the, what's springing up in generosity here before you in these verses, an overflowing joy 
Rich generosity, it says that's grace. And he says it's by the grace of God. The Greek word is charis, right? Now, when we talk about the grace of God, it means unmerited favor when it's us and God. But when you talk about a grace upon somebody's life, like upon these suffering Macedonians who are, even though they have nothing and they're in a lot of pain, they're filled with joy and they want to be generous. That's a grace. And that word means a beauty, a beauty. So, so when we are Christ-like and givers, when there's hardly anything for us, and yet we're still talking about uh, serving other people, it makes you more beautiful than any physical beauty or attraction could ever hope to be. That's what the Bible says, is that you're a beautiful soul, beautiful in the sight of Christ, beautiful in the sight of angels, beautiful in the sight of the resurrection that's coming where you'll be rewarded for everything up down to a cup of cold water. These Macedonians right now are shining and they haven't even got their reward yet because that happens on the resurrection, uh, at the resurrection, I should say. Not to mention how beautiful in the sight of those who receive uh, people's generous a care like that. And surprise, he's not teaching about an amount here in these opening five verses. Uh, the amount the Macedonians could give is negligible. They have nothing, but they gave generously. So what did they do? When something came in, instead of running out and saying, oh, finally, we can get a bag of potatoes, they said, oh, Paul, use this, use this. All right, so that's, the kind of thing that we're talking about. It wasn't much, but it added up. And God says it's never about the, money, uh, the amount. It's always about the heart. Now, mature believers understand if you have more, more is required of you, but 10% of $25,000 is more generous than 10% of $250,000. So God doesn't look at amounts. He looks at your ability. He looks at what he's given you, not what you don't have, but what you do have. And the problem with a lot of people is I don't have much, therefore I don't give anything because it's so little. But they said, are you kidding me? At least I, I have, you know, I have something today. It's not a lot, but I want to know that I have given to the Lord and to these people something. And so, uh, you know, along these same lines, Jesus uh, saw in the temple courts people giving their offerings. And you know where I'm headed, right? The widow's might. And so he saw the rich loading up the altar with their treasures and they'd like to blow a trumpet, some of them before, some of them didn't, but they were just giving. And then a poor widow came and it says, Jesus saw, because Jesus always sees, you know. The pastor uh, usually doesn't see giving records, but the Bible says Jesus sees. Jesus sees the heart, right? And he saw past what everybody else could see and the oohs and ahs with the big amount of money. And then this little woman came by and put, tossed in two coins that equals a half penny. And he says, truly I say to you, this woman gave more than everybody else put together. 
because she gave out of her, her need. They gave out of their abundance. And so, you know, God has made a way to level the playing field so everyone can excel uh, with or without great resources or with or without great gifts or callings. You see? He looks at you for who, who you are and the gifts he's given you and your faithfulness to those gifts, not to pastor's gifts and expert gifts, but to who you are and what he gave you to manage. And that's kind of what he's talking about here and why he's so amazed with uh, these Macedonians. And so... Um, the Macedonian Christians really were inspiring because the, it was through suffering, it was in great poverty, uh, they had a great attitude of joy, and they had this willingness. And so Paul's testimony here in 3, 4, and 5, he says, I didn't ask them, I was living with them. How could I say, and by the way, can you spare some money? When they don't have any money right there, we're sitting there and there's nothing on the table. Why would I ask them that? So he says, no, I didn't ask them. I didn't expect it. I was thinking, uh, I knew if they could, they're such great people, they would. But guess what, he says. He says, they surprised us and they gave as much as they were able, verse three, more than they were able, kind of in the scary zone of like, okay, the kids were like hungry or something or the kids needed new shoes and somebody came by and just tossed them and said, buy your kids new shoes. And they said, Paul, take this. The, the scary part where he says that it was beyond what humans would consider reasonable. But when God puts it on somebody's heart to say, hey, you know, it's okay. Go ahead. I'm going to get the kid's shoes. But go ahead and step out and do what your heart is telling you to do. And so uh, he says, <laughs> get this. I didn't have to beg them. They were begging me. The pastor didn't have to beg or control or manipulate or just kind of keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. Instead, the congregation was begging Paul, do not disregard us because of our hardship. Do not lay us aside because of what we're suffering. We're Christians too. We love Jesus too. We care about them. And if we have to just give 50 cents, Paul, would you let us give the 50 per, uh, cents? Thank you. We beg you, don't exclude us from the privilege is the word, the privilege, you know. And so who were these people? The Philippians. God opened Lydia's heart at the river. God delivered a fortune teller of a demon possession. God had saved a jailer's family in a miraculous display of his power when the prison doors opened wide like that. These are the people who had fallen on tough times and didn't have a penny to their name anymore. But they said, Christ has done so much for us, Paul, please, please. Let us, we were lost, we were condemned, we, 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 we were steeped in sin, we were pagans worshiping uh, idols made of wood and rock and 
We were sexually immoral. It was terrible. And God came into rural Boonville, or wherever you want to call it, (laughs) and saved us and made us his chosen people. We're going to be kings and queens in this coming kingdom. We are God's special possession. Let us give. And Paul said, was I going to say no to that? Was I going to say no to that? So in verse 5, he said, uh, we didn't see that coming, but there's something else we didn't see coming. How they, how they are. Number one, in keeping with how God wants it to be, they didn't just say, hey, uh, you know, let us write a check. They gave themselves to God first. In other words, they put themselves in the offering. They put their own hearts in. They gave themselves first to God. This wasn't an isolated thing that they could do, you know, on the side. Yeah, hey, we feel sorry. It wasn't like an a, um, act of giving in itself or a compassion for the poor or we're doing a good deed here. He's saying, first of all, this uh, generosity has come up from a deeper, more profound place. And that is a love for God and a surrender to him that everything down to the kids' shoes and the potatoes and the 50 cents that just came into their hands. It just, their wholehearted generosity comes from a wholehearted love for God first. It's very easy to just write a check and, 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 and have other areas of your life that are not in line with him. It's easy to give gifts and then do your own thing and, and kind of feel good about it. And Paul's saying, oh, no, 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 it didn't happen that way. They love God, and from their love of God came this offering. And then he said, they love God. And then next they gave themselves to God. And next they gave themselves to us. And that is a subtle little jab to the Corinthians that said, these churches, Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, these churches love us. They trust us. And when we came in, they said, hey, Pastor Paul, this is on your heart. We're in. We partner with you. You came into our towns. You were in that jail. God used you to set us free and give us eternal life. We love and trust you. And he's saying to the Corinthians, the Holy Spirit is saying to the Corinthians, you have zero cause to disrespect and not trust that man. So the Holy Spirit says, listen, they gave themselves first to God and then to their pastor and loved him, and cared about him, and the things that God put on his heart, and said, Pastor Paul, we're with you. We're with you. And so, uh, hopefully, they're, they're like, you know, kind of moved to kind of almost jealousy. Like, what are we doing? Dragging their feet with the offering because they had relational difficulties with Paul, but not the Macedonian Christians. They gave themselves first to God, and then to their leadership. There was zero reason uh, not to trust the apostle uh, Paul. And he says, by the way, that's what God wills. You know, he wills that. Okay, we can move on now, (laughs) 6 through 12. We're not going through the whole chapter, just so. Take a cleansing breath. (laughs) We're only going to make it to verse 15. 
So we urge Titus, the guy who's been going back and forth from Macedonia in the north to Corinth in the south and back to Macedonia, and now he wants Titus to go back again. So he says, so we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part, but just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech, in knowledge and complete earnestness and in love for us, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of the Macedonians. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have, as we've been talking about. So an example to inspire them, right? One through five, and now these verses here, an exhortation to help them. Now, uh, from the Macedonians, he's turned now to the Corinthians and their responsibility. And so he's saying, finish the work. You guys, last year, you were talking. You're talking big. You know, we've got a banker, we got a lawyer, we got a real estate guy. We're Corinthians, man. We got a thriving business down by the port. That's what we do here, right? So you're talking big. We can help. I've got resources, Apostle Paul, right? And so there was a lot of talk. And then life happened, and, and the, the guy had the sinning problem, and Paul had to correct him, and it upset a lot of families, and everybody kind of got their feelers hurt. And now we're going to put the skids on the offering. And, he, and now we're hopefully past that, but he's saying don't procrastinate, stop wasting time, finish the work. Uh, one writer said this, Barclay, the devil will let you intend as much good as you like. The more, the better, just as long as you never carry it out. The tragedy of life so often is not that we have no lofty goals, but that we fail to turn them into action. It was a French monk in the uh, what, uh, 1100s who said the road to hell is paved with... Good. Yeah, you've heard that one before. So more spurring on here in your paragraph that, that you're looking at. If I were a Corinthian here and having been exhorted as he has been doing, I would be crazy embarrassed. I just would be. The Macedonians were poor and hurting. We're not. The Macedonians were joyful and willing and begging to help. We aren't. The Macedonians loved God and Paul and people. And the Corinthians we're not. And so in verse 8, he says, hey, I'm testing you. Yes, I'm prodding you a little bit by comparing you to the Macedonians. Can you figure it out without me commanding you? Can you guys just connect the dots, right? That's really what he's saying there in verse uh, 8 there. Now, um, so 
And, and you know what? All the while, get this, the Corinthians were spirit-filled and they were speaking in tongues and prophesying all the while with this deplorable behavior, tight-fisted and all of this stuff. And it just goes to show you that the charismatic gifts are trumped by Christian character. Christian character is way more important than charismatic gifts, way more. In fact, if you don't have love, it doesn't matter if you speak in tongues or not. You're a big fat zero without the fruit of the Spirit. You must have the fruit of the Spirit. You must have Christian character or nothing else matters. That's what he says. 1 Corinthians 13. So it just, it just cracks me up that, that they've got, they come behind in no gift, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 7. And he's going to acknowledge that now. Now, really important, if you ever have to deal with somebody who's difficult and you're kind of a mentor role, uh, you've got to see the good and affirm the good in people. And that's what he's doing here. And he's not lying and he's not kind of kissing up to them. He's saying there's a lot of good. You guys have a lot of faith here in, in, uh, the ver- in verse 7. You have a lot of faith. You, you're eloquent with the gospel, your speech, your knowledge. You understand a lot about God. Now I just want you to add something. You've got a blind spot, right? And, and, and it's so nice when the word of God can point out to us, you know, there are a lot of good things that we're doing, but, you know, we have a blind spot. Didn't Jesus do that with the seven churches in Revelation? He said, I know you guys. I know all your good works. And he listed them. But he said, but I also know this about you. So it would be good tonight for us to say, yeah, I, I, maybe I got one, two, and three. But what about four? What about something so important? That's how we do. We have blind spots. We excel in every way, but how we treat our spouse. What good is it if you excel in every way and you're rude and difficult to live with with the one you pledge your life to? That's a blind spot, my friend. And I know a lot of people who excel in everything except the way they drive. Or they excel in everything except their thought life. They excel at everything except whether or not they're going to give in the offering. But they're a pretty good Christian, but they don't give a penny. Not a penny. There are believers who do not give a penny. But they excel. So he's just saying, hey, you know, you excel in A, B, and C. There's this thing called giving. And Jesus said, not if you give. He said, when you give. Giving is just a part. I mean, if you've got the biggest giver in the universe is on board with you, how could you ever be Christ-like if you're not a giver? Because the greatest giver of all supposedly resides in your heart. So how in the world could Jesus, the giver who bled out for the sins of the world and gave his life a ransom for many, how can the giver of all givers reside in your heart and you not be a giver? 
Those are hard questions. Paul now capitalizes on the renewed goodwill of the congregation. He's saying, listen, I'm going to send Titus back. You liked him. He liked you. We just heard that. There's a little love fest with Titus. Good-looking young man, 35 years old, just kind of filled with the Holy Spirit. They loved him. And so he said, we're sending him back now to you. He's the ideal candidate. Paul is smart. And now in verse 9, the Holy Spirit is pulling out the stops because if the Macedonian illustration didn't stir them up to emulate that kind of generosity, now he's going to talk about Jesus, the greatest giver of all time, and what they received from the greatest giver. The finest example of selfless giving, eagerness, generosity, willingness. Christ became poor, he said. Let's talk about Jesus, who was, um, though he was rich, he became poor. I have written down here, um, that's an understatement of all time. He was rich. He's God. <laughs> He's God. He became poor. Let's talk about this. Philippians chapter 2 sums it up quite nicely. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude, mindset as Christ, who in the, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself God, made himself Nothing, that's pretty wealthy. God made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, a slave, being made in human likeness and being found in an appearance as a man. God humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Immeasurable wealth as God, who will ever understand in our human thinking how rich and well off God is? But he went to unfathomable poverty for our sakes. And so from master of the universe to slave, from God to human form, from the source of life to death, from moral perfection to moral defilement, not his own, but ours laid on him, from omnipresence to finite, from omnipotent to dependent, from omniscient to limited. He said about the second coming, that would be the father I'm limited right now for 33 years. I laid down the riches of being the son of God. Just the indignities of the human body. For me, that's a wow enough. That's a wow enough. He was clothed in light, in wealth, and then he was stripped. Stripped, God. And he said he was wealthy and rich and had all this grandeur, and he traded it all away and became dirt poor to death, to a slave, and not just any death, but stripped on a cross so that you could be rich now with that knowledge on board of what Christ has done for you. Are you going to loosen up the purse strings or not? That's what he's saying. 
Are you going to be tight-fisted? Or are you going to live generously, not just with your pocketbook, but with your compliments and with your grace and with your mercy? When I start thinking about what Christ, who Christ is and what he did and who I am and what I've done and where I'm headed to eternal life and glory, I just want to let everybody off the hook in the whole wide world. I just want to cut everybody slack. I just want to give whatever I have. But when I'm not engaged, right, we all go back to default, which is it's all about me, right? I think we're finishing up. I got three verses. Let's just sum it up here. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in their plenty, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it's written in Exodus chapter 16, verse 18, he who gathered much manna did not have too much, and he who gathered little manna did not have too little. Let's wrap it up with this, a practical instructions that are just really going to appeal now uh, to show them uh, God's purpose. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, um, he's saying the purpose isn't for you guys to give and then be put in a hurt locker while others prosper. He said, that's not gonna happen. It's, it's that they will have an, it, there's equity, that they will uh, have a kind of a, a, a normative life where there's food on the table, they can pay their bills. Nobody's going to get rich while you suffer. That's not the point. And they were afraid of that. And so I think for here, right here in these verses, if a pastor or a televangelist is ever asking for money, and they are becoming a multimillionaire. It says here, right here, do not give to that person because that's not the purpose of tithes and offerings. Tithes and offerings are not meant to make the pastor wealthy. He says it right there. The purpose isn't uh, to make the congregation sacrificing so that somebody could live in luxury. That's proof right there that you don't need to be uh, giving to those kinds of ministries. And so he says, equity, normal, middle of the line. The pastor should live the way the congregation is living and that those poor people should be able to have a standard uh, that's the same standard as everybody else, you know, food and clothes and shelter and that kind of thing. That's what he's talking about. And he brings up the manna. He says, in the old times, in the Old Testament, the Israel community there in the desert was given manna from heaven to sustain them. And manna means, what is it, right? So it's this thin, sweet kind of wafer kind of mysterious thing that God kind of left in the morning for them to gather. Now, some people gathered a lot and some people gathered a little, but God said, try keeping it and hoarding it to yourself and it'll rot and stink to high heaven. So what happens is, with the people who didn't have enough, and there were people who gathered more than they needed, they already knew, 
if they tried to, to keep it or hoard it for later, it would rot. So God commanded them and they shared what they didn't eat themselves. And so he's saying, God commanded it in the Old Testament, but Christ invites us to make sure that we are our brothers and sisters keepers and that we look out for orphans and that we uh, support the work of the Lord in all the benevolent ways that God uh, has us involved in. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you for these very um, convicting passages, Lord, and thank you that there are so many cheerful givers at the rock. I ask you to continue to bless us, Lord, and cause us to be able to grow in the grace of giving. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.